Welcome to Are You Real? Finding the Authentic You, the podcast that focuses on Christians that are active in everyday life. Join in as we speak to everyone from successful business owners to educators to athletes about their faith and how it helps them reach out and revolutionize those around them to do the same. And now get ready to roar with your host, the voice of manifestation, John Fuller. Hey, Roar Nation, John Fuller here, and I am fired up for today's interview. So I want to give a shout out real quick. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with Michael McIntyre, he has introduced me to probably a dozen different people that I've brought on the show. And uh, I want to shout out and say thank you to him. But also, um, if you are looking to do any type of like next level training, um, just really put a jump start in your life or you need a good kick in the butt, I wanted to tell you, you need to reach out to Michael McIntyre. He does this next level training. It's coming up in Dallas. My wife and I did it. It was absolutely phenomenal. To be honest with you, he charges about one-tenth or one-twentieth of what it's worth. So highly recommend. He didn't ask me to do this, and he doesn't even know I'm giving this shout-out to him. So I'm asking you guys to go check it out if you're needing some help. So anyways, that being said, Robbie, my new friend, are you ready to roar? <laughs> yeah. did it. Like, hey, out of like 140 interviews you're the only second person to ever do that i love it well i was practicing my low level roar this morning <laughs> i wasn't gonna give you the full scary one but that's my maybe, maybe my early morning level. coffee roar <laughs> i love that dude that is epic. okay so roar nation check this out Robbie is a fifth generation pastor and I'm just going to skim the surface, man, because it's literally phenomenal. He's been a pastor, small church, big church, then youth ministry. But here's the big thing that I love about it. He has now ministered in over 58 nations in six out of the 10 most dangerous nations for Christians in the world. Um, he's been featured on Sid Roth, uh, been in Father of Lights, Furious Love, uh, Holy Ghost Reborn. I could go on on TBN. I mean, the guy. Uh, I don't want to toot your horn, dude, but you've you've done a lot of good stuff, right? Well, I I sure hope so. See, <laughs> seems like uh, seems like we're on track to do that. I love it. Okay, so why don't we jump in a little bit, and why don't you tell us just kind of a little bit about you and who you are? I mean, I gave this big introduction of like some of the stuff you've done, but why don't you give us a thirty thousand foot view? Yeah, I mean, uh, my life is just here to primarily just equip other people to live uh, what God always intended them to live. Um, I, I really believe that uh, living out the book of Acts is for today and that uh, that, that applies in every place of life. If, if somebody's a businessman, a school teacher, um, if they're working as a janitor, um, they're the hands and feet of Jesus and, and should be operating in all the stuff that Jesus did. Amen. My first book is, is titled Do What Jesus Did, and, and the primary focus of that is, is to sh demonstrate the premise of it is Jesus didn't come to show us what he could do. He came to show us what we could do. And so his, his life here, he was uh, restoring what the first Adam had given away uh, in power and authority and, and relationship with the Father, and um, restoring us back to that through his example of his life. So his coming, because according to Philippians chapter two, it says, you know, when he came here, he didn't use his superhero God powers. He left those in heaven with the father. He came as a normal human being and the source of his power was the power of the Holy Spirit. So getting people to understand that, hey, Jesus didn't, isn't, wasn't operating at any greater advantage than we were. They're like, yeah, but he was the son of God. Yeah, but he wasn't operating in those powers. Yeah, um, He was operating the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit we have. And so we have all the ingredients living in us that he had in him to do all the stuff he did. We have him in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us and on us. And so that's the same ingredients to see all the same miracles, all the same uh, messages communicated everything about it. So, uh, there's, what are we waiting for? Uh, the truth is we're just, we just need to activate. We need to activate what he's given us. And, um, so my, I see my primary job is helping people get activated and in, in those things of living out the book of acts. 
That's good. That's exciting. I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but man, I've been in Christianity now over 20 years or been around it. And so many people's viewpoint from the outside is just like, I struggled this with years for like the first five years. It's like, well, Jesus just came and died for my sin and he wants me to go to heaven and play a harp uh, someday when I die. Right. And I'm like, sounds boring, dude, I struggle with that. I'm like, why am I be excited about that? That's, I mean, I'm just being honest. There was nothing exciting to me about that. But when I caught the mindset that he came to give me power and authority and to change the world around me and that I have dominion and that not just he loves me, mm-hmm. he wants to do something. Man, that changed the whole game. Like all of a sudden I'm like, this is awesome. This is fun. I'm not going to go just play. Yeah. Art. Exactly. And I mean, you know, the Bible talks about interesting things like Revelation 12 says there was a war in heaven. You know, I mean, so I don't think it's just sitting around playing harps. I mean, I think ultimately after, you know, Christ has thrown Satan into the pit and, you know, that there's a lot more peace, but there's so much more to do. And when you, in some of the more recent visions of people in heaven, I mean, there's, you know, there seems to be scenery, there seems to be beauty, there seems to be interaction with other, uh, you know, people that were formerly living on the earth. And, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's, it's so much bigger, but yeah, I believe a way that we can do that now, and and my friend Bill Johnson wrote a book uh, called When Heaven Invades Earth, is that, you know, when that will of God is present with us here and we're walking it out, I mean, we we sort of experience what heaven will be like here in the sense of his power and his rule and his reign and his authority. And I think that's a... um, that's a big part of, of what, you know, I know my message is, is, is that, uh, is that we need to be operating in that power now, because again, that's what Jesus did. Everything Jesus lived out was, was to show us he came as the second Adam. He was restoring what the first Adam gave away. And he was restoring that not to himself, but to us because it was originally given to human beings. And so it was to sort of come and hit the reset button. You know, that's what the cross did. That's what, but, um, the resurrection did was hit the reset button and put us back into place. We just have to activate it. You know, we just have to step into it. And that's, that's, that's how it works. Come on. That's good stuff. Yeah. We're going to dive into more of that. Cause there's so much power in that. It's awesome. So, okay. So along your journey, it can either be like for your life uh, kind of scripture or just in this season, maybe you're in a season, do you have an inspirational or kind of like a success quote that's just kind of led you recently? Wow. Mm, so many. I mean, my goodness. You know, I mean, I, I think one of the strongest, uh, you know, verses for me that has always just communicated so much was uh, just, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this shall be added unto you. The problem is I grew up in church my whole life, so I memorized everything in the King James. So I was <laughs> quoted in the King James because of that. Uh, but you know, what I, what I hear in that passage, what it's really saying is, um, is that, you know, if we'll put first God's agenda, God will take care of ours. If we, if we, if we put first God's needs and what he wants to do, then, then everything else will fall into place. Um, you know, I don't, uh, people are always asking me, man, give me a word for what I'm supposed to do with my life. You know, give me a prophetic word of, I'm trying to get a sense of, and I always tell them, listen, if you will, just go out, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the good news everywhere you go. Uh, if you'll just do that, you'll never ask me that question again because all the doors will open to you. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to do that like every day, nonstop. We can't ever make it to a 15-minute stop at the grocery store because we've got a line of people that we're trying to pray for to get out of it. It doesn't mean that, but if, we just, if, we just, if we're just aware, and one of the things I'm always praying is, Lord, you know, every morning I'm like, Lord, help me be aware of all the people around me that you want me to join in with, you know, and which is really everybody, but, you know, especially ones that you're wanting me to, that, that, you know, that, that I can participate with you in the pursuit for them and how you're pursuing them. And whether that's healing, whether whatever it is, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I want to hit on that for just a second just think about this. So I, this is what gets me excited about what you said. So when we look at Jesus's life, he came one to restore back our authority. 
Uh, he's the second Adam. Okay. And then second of all, when people ask that, like, what's my purpose in life? You know, we're always to look to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He laid down his life. So he had everything. So the way I look at it is, is if I lay down my gifts, what I have to, what God gave me, and I'm able to lay those down for people around me, then all of a sudden, it's like what God has for me starts to highlight as far as purpose and things that I'm doing. Because like you said, we're seeking first the kingdom. And then all of a sudden, all these doors start opening because I'm laying my life down for people yeah. around me exactly like Jesus did. Yeah, I, I, I really do. I think it's I think it's that simple. I think it's just that, um, you know, the, I, I was I was driving this years ago, man, probably 20 years ago. I was I was, I was taking a friend uh, whose car had broken down to go to um, get something at the at the um, pharmacy. And, um, and we passed by, and so I noticed this woman, uh, just sitting with her flashers on. And so we pulled up beside her and I got out of the car and anytime I do that, that sort of, they (laughs) they look really intimidated, you know? And I just, I kind of, I didn't touch her car. I kind of put my hands up just towards my chest so she could see my hands all the time. And I said, hey, I said, my friend and I were passing by. Is everything okay? Do you need help with your car? Do you need – and she, you know, cracked the window just a tiny bit. And she goes, she goes, um, well, I've run out of gas, and I'm trying to reach my husband, but uh, he's already at work. And I said, I said, well, can we do this? Will you let us go get you gas and, and bring it back here, and we'll, uh, you know, put a few dollars worth of gas in your – tank and i said but we'll come right back with that if you reach him and he does that before that's fine no problem and so i ran home where my lawnmower tank you know uh gas tank was and i came back fill put put you know a few gallons of gas and and then she reached you know into her purse now we were just starting a church plant at the time we had like no money you know we were poor you know (laughs) and uh she reached in her purse to grab like a $20 bill or something. And I said, no, I said, you know what? I said, Jesus really loves you. He so cares about you. I said, he, I said, he, we, we, we were drawn to you because of his love and compassion for you. And, and she just looked at me and stared blankly for a little bit. And then a tear came down her face and she goes, do you believe that's really true? And I said, yeah. And we ended up leading the lady to Christ. Wow. It's interesting because 10 years later, I'm in my doctor's office. Turns out she's a receptionist for my doctor. Oh my gosh. And 10 years she later. Was, yeah. 10 years later. And she started bringing all these people. Every time I would come in, she would say, Hey, would you pray for this person? Hey, this person, tell them what you told me. Tell them about how you know, and she was, she plugged in to a church and all this stuff. And, um, you know, it was just amazing, but it's just like that one little moment. And so for some people, they're like, well, I don't know if I can heal the sick or give her a prophetic word, but even just acts of kindness, but where you're communicating, this is God's prompting. This isn't just someone humanly being nice, but my life's been changed. And now I have compassion for people, you know, just communicating that. You know, it is, is massive. And here's the thing, John, when people do that, all of a sudden God starts speaking to you more because he's like, I can trust you with giving you stuff. I can, st- I can trust you with nudges and prompts or thoughts that just hit your head that you'll follow through on that. So I'm going to give you more of that and I'm going to make it more clear because you'll actually act on it. And so that's, that's really how it works. And that's what God wants to do. But it's just sometimes the simplest little thing. And then the, the, the fruit of it later, I mean, through that one woman, I ended up in my doctor's office. I think I led five more people to Christ, saw lots of healing. You know, she didn't even know that was a part of anything we did because we weren't asking her to pray for her. We just wanted to, you know, give her gas. But even not sort of taking the money, yeah. you know, I mean, that just, my doctor, my, I, I calculated later, my doctor, again, because of that, Ended up, uh, get, we, I had to have blood work done. He ended up, every time I needed blood work over the next eight years, he never charged me for the blood work and he never, any lab stuff, anything that, that and they had to pay for that stuff because they sent it to the hospital. But um, 
he gave us so much stuff. So just even the blessing of return from sewing in probably 10 bucks worth of gasoline, five bucks worth of gasoline, yeah. um, came back in such a way. I mean, man, it just, God makes sure it comes back, you know, that's how it, it works. We reap and uh, we sow and we reap, man. It's just an, absolutely. I, I love his. Uh, I love his economy. Okay, so before we jump into your life story, real quick, I'm just going to get a moment for our sponsor. Hey everyone, I recently found an app that I want to share with you that I think would bless you. It's called Church Home. And what I really enjoy is the convenience of having great sermons. They have inspirational quick videos and you have the ability to connect with other Christians all over the world. And what I love about Church Home is that it's not about excluding people and it's not about being perfect. It's about being together where everyone's welcome. So Church Home was started 25 years ago and they had the belief that church isn't so much about a place but about the people. And that was the thinking behind their new Church Home Global app. It allows you to connect with people all around the world and have honest discussions, great meaningful relationships, and the coolest part is you can do it all from your phone. So with Church Home Global, you always have access to a positive space and a strong community of people. And I just want to invite you guys today to join me at the Church Home Global app. You can download it for free at Church Home Global app. It's available on the App Store or Google Play. And you can text UPLIFT to 555-888. That's Church Home. C-H-U-R-C-H-O-M-E Global. Again, it's available at the App Store or Google Play. Or you can text UPLIFT to 555-888. See you there. Okay, so on your life journey, let's talk about this a little bit. Your fifth generation. Um, don't want to spend a ton of time in the past because I love what you're doing current. But why don't you just kind of give us a brief history of kind of the process um, of your journey of stepping into what you're doing? Because a lot of people want to know, quote unquote, what is my purpose or how do I know my purpose? How did you step into that, Robbie? Well, I... You know, as you say, fifth generation pastor, I mean, my great, great grandfather uh, was a pastor. My great grandfather was a lay minister, but still was was doing pastoral ministries like an associate pastor of the church. Back in those days, they didn't have uh, so many titles and positions. Worship but, pastor, but, lead pastor, yeah. pastor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now we have we have all of them. facilities pastors. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he. um yeah. So, and then, and then my grandfather uh, planted and, and uh, pastored several churches. He was also a farmer. Um, and then uh, my mother uh, was also an ordained minister. My, on my dad's side, my great grandmother, it's interesting on my mom's side, it was starting off the men and then it was her on my dad's side, it was the women and then it was him. Uh, and that was, they came from, uh, Pentecostal backgrounds. And even back when it was hard for people to recognize women as ministers, um, you know, God ha- clearly had it. So I kind of got it from both sides, uh, growing up, you know, I mean, I was born in Japan, parents were missionaries. Uh, so I, I grew up all my life surrounded in, in, in communication about the church, about who the Lord was and, and what he wanted to be. And, uh, in our lives and all those things. And so, you know, I, I was just inundated with all that. But uh, early on, my mother would have me listen to and read, watch anything about um, Christian missionaries. Um, and so I was constantly, um, you know, books like, you know, Jim Elliott's story, Through the Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliott, his widow, um, you know, Cory Ten Boone, Corey Ten Boone uh, and Hiding Place. I, I could go on and on. So many books. Many of them were people who um, had been martyred or people who had been imprisoned for their faith or who had made a stand. Uh, all of that just was early. I mean, when when other people, when other kids were looking at comic books. You know, I mean, I was, you know, reading these guys' stories. I mean, as a kid, I mean, even at nine years old. And, you know, the thought of dying for your faith was actually absolutely a terrifying thought to me. But, um, yeah, yeah. But I, but I, but I also, it gave me a different worldview, I think, than a lot of my friends in the sense that as I began to get older, all of a sudden I'm like, hold on. This is, uh, this is right. And this is, this was, this was, forming and shaping something 
those were my superheroes, all those missionaries. And so as I began to, as I began to get a little bit older, I started uh, youth pastoring for my dad when I was 16 years old. My older sister kind of administrated the group, but I was sort of the preacher of the group, started a Christian, helped co-founded a Christian band that was an evangelistic outreach when I was even 13 years old. Um, and that, that existed till I was 16 with doing tons of outreaches. I mean, a ministry was just everything that we did. You know, it was a part of our lives. What we did together as a family is how we spent family time. And uh, there, there was no begrudging that. I, I enjoyed that. My parents were very inclusive. Um, I never felt like I was, you know, second or, you know, a lot of people feel that way. I never felt that way. Um, and so uh, in the family system. But uh, then I became a, uh, officially became a youth pastor, um, you know, when I was, uh, uh, or I'd youth pastored in some areas, but then came full time, I guess you'd say, um, at right after I got married and youth pastored a few churches. But all along the way, um, I was always uh, sort of wanting to do more for the Lord and wanting, and I'd grown up with my parents taking me to hear and see, you know, guys like Oral Roberts, you know, and, and see these uh, crazy miracles that were happening right in front of your eyes. Uh, I could list a ton of other people, Kenneth Hagen, different other people that that were shapers of thinking of where I'm at today. Did that increase um, your faith as a kid though? Or is that something you looked at down the road you noticed or did it did then? I saw, you know, as a kid, I thought, man, these guys probably never eat. <laughs> you know, they probably fast all the time. Uh, they probably never look at the television do they even go to the bathroom? Right. I, and I don't, I don't blame my parents for that because my parents were constantly giving me the opposite message. But just in my head, it was like, you know, you got to be so stinking holy to do yeah. that stuff. And so, I mean, I, I just went down that road of, well, they just live an impossible lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't until one day in my, um, you know, as a youth pastor in my office where I, we got a phone call and a woman uh, was going, uh, her dad was going into uh, heart surgery for his third bypass and the doctors didn't think he was going to make it. And I mean, up until then, I'd pray for people and it seemed like they'd die. You know, like my gift to you is to give you the ultimate <laughs> healing of you seeing the face of Jesus forever and death, you know. And then uh, all of a sudden in the middle of the prayer, and I wasn't even praying for healing. You know, she, she calls, she, she did, she says, we don't go to church. We're not church people. You know, I just need you to burn a candle, rub some beads, whatever you people do. You know, she, she just wanted to have a sense of God's with us in this difficulty. Pour, pour some hot wax on me. Yeah. Something, give me something that, that makes me feel like, you know, God may be hearing my heart's cry. And in the middle of praying for her, which was really kind of more doing the dude's eulogy, I wasn't even really praying. I wasn't praying for healing. I, I, I was like, I, you know, people don't get healed when I pray for them. But in the middle of that, the Lord began to, I began to hear God. And, and again, it just came as a thought. Although the first thought was, you know, um, get out on a limb. And I was like, get out on a limb. What does that mean? I thought literally, and I'm like, I don't like climbing trees. I don't like. <laughs> you know, and, and he's like, uh, he spoke a second thing and it, this was not audible. Let me make that very clear. This was just inside of myself. Yeah. The inaudible voice, just impression, thought, feeling. The second thing was take a risk. And I was like, what risk? You know, there's no risk. And I'm like, God doesn't even seem like to heal his own kids, much less one of them. Why would he heal one <laughs> yeah. of them? You know? And, and then a third thought came as I'm sort of arguing with this was from the Psalms and it was open your mouth and I'll fill it. And I, I had thought that applied to food. Like I didn't think that applied to prayer or something. Open your mouth and I'll fill it. That doesn't make any sense. And so I thought all of a sudden I realized God wants me to say something that I wouldn't normally say. And so I just said, you know, the Lord's about to, and I didn't know what I was going to say next. And all of a sudden, it just, it sort of hit me and I started speaking it at the same time. And it was almost like bypassing my filter by doing that. Yeah. But I said, God's going to give your father a brand new heart and give him brand new lungs to go with it. 
You said, and he said, did I just say that? As I'm hearing it, (laughs) I'm like, I wanted to reach out in the air and grab those words before it hits her ear. Yeah. Swallow them, destroying any evidence I'd uttered anything so stupid. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you know, married men understand that because we live in that moment. You know, the wife's like, does this dress make me look fat? And we always say as well. And it's like, no, what was I saying? Trying to grab those words and pull them back. And it felt like that kind of moment, like I just embarrassed myself by saying something stupid. And I gra- I said immediately, I said, um, I said, wait a minute. I said, you need to understand something. I'm no healer. I said, a matter of fact, you know, a lot of people that I pray for die. And I said, you know, I can't, I don't know that God's giving your dad a new heart. I'm backpedaling as fast as I can. Yeah. And she had, she had said nothing about lungs or anything. I said, I don't, I said, I don't know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't even listen to me. I mean, I literally said those words to her and she said, you said God was going to give my father a new heart. And I kind of chuckled and I said, yes, but, and as soon as I said that, she said, thank you. And then she hung up the phone. Mm. And as soon as I heard the click of the phone, man, my heart dropped to my toes. And I thought, man, I'm going to get fired. We're going to get sued. What if this is some TV expose show trying to catch pastors who promise healing <laughs> that actually kill people? Yeah. You know, like this is going to destroy me. You know, a few minutes later, like almost it was a little over an hour later, the phone rings again. I answer the phone again. I'm at church answering the phone. And um, all I hear is crying. I couldn't understand who it was. And I thought it was one of our youth group people. And I just said, Hey, you know, I said the name of the girl that I thought it was. And I said, calm down, call me back when you're calm. And I hung up the phone and then she calls back a little bit later and she goes, please don't hang up the phone, you know? And I realized it was that woman. And I thought, Oh, she's crying. Cause her dad died. You know, yeah. I killed her dad, you know, cause I prayed for him. He's gone, you know? And immediately I started just saying, I'm sorry. I'm so, so sorry. And she's like, sorry for what? And I said, you know, like, well, your dad died, right? And she's like, no. And I was like, no. (laughs) What? (laughs) Are you sure? You know? And she said, no. She said, when they opened up my dad's chest, she said, the doctor literally looked at my dad's heart and says, this man doesn't need surgery. He has a brand new heart, which was exactly the words that I said. And even he had had a valve replacement with a valve from a hog, and that was now human tissue. It, the, the, the valve replacement had completely disappeared. There was no internal scarring from any of the previous surgery, only the external scarring on the outside. She said, you said God was going to heal my dad's lungs also. And I said, look, don't push it, sister. Let's just take the heart thing and be happy with that. She goes, no. She goes, Robbie, she goes, my dad had a half lung removed on that side. And now he has a whole lung. Mm. They checked while he was in surgery and he has a whole lung too. And I, my immediately res- response in, in great faith and now, you know, being filled with great expectancy, I said, are you sure? <laughs> and she goes, she goes, what? And I said, are you sure? I said, nobody gets healed when I pray for him. Nobody. I said, I don't believe you. And she goes, what do you mean you don't believe me? And I said, because nobody gets healed when I pray for her. I'm like, I'm arguing with the unbeliever <laughs> that her dad just I got healed. This. And she says, she goes, what? I said, yeah. I said, I want to see documentation. And she goes, are you sure you're a pastor? Yeah. And I said, yes. And I said, and I'm not a naive one. I said, I want to see documentation. Next Sunday, she showed up at the church and she said she had a full doctor's report. And at the very end, he said, this is nothing short of a miracle. Wow. And I, I read it. Now, the end result of that was that woman, her husband, the mom, the dad, all of them gave their lives to Christ. And, and if I, it, last I heard, they're still at that church to this day where I, or the mom and dad were from a different state. They went to church, but then the couple are still at that church. And I, I I remember as I was driving home, John, the thing that was so crazy that day, because my my, my brain was just whirling of what just happened, how this happened. As I'm driving home, I just said, Lord, why me? I mean, I had actually that day had a really bad attitude. Yeah. 
You know, I thought you couldn't eat food for that stuff to happen. I thought you didn't go to the bathroom for that stuff to happen. You know what I mean? He wasn't worried about your attitude either. No, no, not at all. And I said, Lord, why me? I wasn't in a good headspace. I didn't have a good attitude. Um, I said, Lord, you know, why me? And the Lord spoke to me and said, Robbie, my gift to you is ability. Your gift to me is availability, but you have to go first. You have to be available and the ability will meet you there. You don't get the ability in advance. You make yourself available. You give me your gift of availability and I'll give you the gift of ability. Now, I thought I was waiting to be like infused with anointing and electricity shooting out my fingernails or something before I could go do something like yeah. that. And all God's looking for is just me to be available. And actually, he picks people that are the most unlikely to do those things because it gives him more glory. Yeah, amen. If he picked pick the special qualified people, everybody would be like, well, that's because they never eat food. you know. And of course, that's because this and this and this. And if they're special and qualified, but it's the gospel that'll do that kind of stuff through us. Because it tells, it tells the world there's hope for them. The fact that he'll use us and mm-hmm. so um, that he'll, he'll use anybody and he's ready to. So it, it's just that place of availability, but that that's what really launched me. I would love to say after that, I was, I was hitting the streets praying for everything that moved. To be honest with you, I was scared too. I was like, I've got one good story. Yeah. I don't want to mess it up. And that was the enemy. That was the enemy trying to rob me of what yeah. the Lord wanted me to do. But, um, you know, thank God, you know, some other experiences that kind of led to uh, more, uh, you know, of, of sort of getting confidence to step out and to, and to do that and put it out. And then now, you know, it's just it's it's a part of daily routine and and weekly uh, raising people up to do the same thing. One, one of my passions even right now is, is we're, we're starting a school in the Middle East and in Iraq and, you know, I was in Afghanistan twice last year and, um, I'll be in Pakistan, um, in March and, uh, back in our Iraq and Armenia and Turkey. Um, it's going to be really cool in, in Turkey. we got a thousand Iranian leaders. I love training the underground church and doing this stuff and, uh, and seeing them, you know, get raised up and, and going in and seeing their, uh, you know, their nations transform. I mean, us walking this stuff out and equipping other people to do it, it'll break the back of ISIS and Taliban and everything. Amen. Man, it is the key. they're going to get saved, man. But yeah. It will. It will. And you know what? They'll end up being the best evangelists because look at the life of the Apostle Paul. Oh, yeah. Seriously. Dude, I, yeah. I, led a, I led a Taliban leader to Christ when I was in Afghanistan. That dude is on fire. Yeah. I mean, on fire. Um, they, they, they killed his wife afterwards. He led her to Christ, went oh, home, led her to Christ, gosh. killed his wife afterwards. But you know what? It did not, dem- if anything, it, it strength. I mean, of course he mourned her and grieved her. Oh, it still yeah. does, you know, but, but it, it, it strengthened and solidified his faith. He's more, it didn't diminish him at all. It actually got him more stoked and more jacked, uh, to share the gospel more than ever before. And that's what happens when it's persecution for the gospel is that, Man, it doesn't make us, you know, blame God. I, I don't like some of the recent television and movie programs where they show the persecuted church, even the early church going, God, how could you let this happen? Uh, that that goes against the account of, of the, the church that goes through persecution. They're not saying how and why. They're saying, show me where I can lay my life down. Show mm. me where I can give it all. You know, and that's the truth of, of, of the way that they respond. I have letters, emails. And, you know, them saying over and over, I'm willing to die for this thing. I mean, dude, this is this is the unstoppable. We are a part of the unstoppable. Um, and, and God's kingdom yeah. is the unstoppable. And so it's it's just cool. And it's in every part of life. It's here in the West. It's in the most affluent, the poorest. Everywhere we go, our, our mission is right where we are. I always tell everybody, changing the world starts across the street. Changing the world starts in the cubicle beside you. It starts at the grocery store, the post office, everywhere you go. Amen. Changing the world just starts right there. Hey, okay, right, so I'm preaching. Come I'm on, preaching dude. now, man. Okay, so we got to get into this. I always do a story. Uh, I call it digging deep. Um, and it's kind of that like couldn't be worse than this moment. 
where you're like, oh crap, it could does, get- does that does that mean I was just being surface right there? Yeah, we're being really surface. Yep, this is just surface. <laughs> And then you got to go into like how God shows up. But I recently heard about uh, a quarter of your story on McIntyre's show recently. That's how mm. I got in touch with you. So why don't you, because you talk about being in uh, six out of the 10 most dangerous nations. Why don't you give us a story? I'm assuming you have one like, oh, crap, we're going to die uh, moment. I'm pretty sure. And then God shows <laughs> Which up. Which one? Yeah, exactly. So why I'll don't pick you one for those and God shows up and you're just like, oh my gosh, like God really just showed up on the scene on this one. Dude, you know, the, they're, they're the latest of those documentaries that I was in this finger of God too, that's just been released this month in January. But, um, the um, and it shows us in Afghanistan. It doesn't say that because we, they were trying to protect the Afghan people that were in it. Okay. Um, but you hardly see them because of again for safety issues, as you can imagine. Um, but um, and and that was cool. And I mean, two different times on that trip uh, within that week. I mean, I was held at gunpoint, and I literally thought, you know, they're they're about to kill me. You know. Um, and um, and it was it was astounding, and I mean it, it was it was it was just crazy. Uh, What's but, going through your mind though? I mean, when you got, I mean, I know you have tons. <laughs> that's of, a good question. I mean, in all honesty, because I mean, I know that God has done amazing things in your life. You have tons of faith. You've seen miracles. But I'm just being honest. I have a. I'm thinking. I have a gun to my head. I have kids. I have a wife. I'm thinking a lot of things. What's going through your mind? I mean. It, at that time, there's there's a there's a sense of it's a peaceful sense. Okay. I'll say it that way: a peaceful sense of I'm probably about to die right now. You know, like this is it. But there's a sense of, but God is completely in control of of whatever the outcome is. And, and if whatever the enemy means for evil, God will take that. It doesn't mean that he is wanting that to happen, but he will take whatever the evil Satan attempts to do and work it into good. Amen. So if I'm shot and killed right there, out of that is going to come some sort of fruit or some sort of evidence that God is more real or God is more powerful. And, and, and there's, a, there's a peace. Uh, there's a peace. Robbie, real quick, I think you hit something really good. People would say, God, why did you do this? Or God, why did you allow this? And I, and what I really like what you said, because um, you can talk about God preordained it and all that stuff and people get into that. And I like what you said there is, is that wasn't God's plan. That was the enemy's plan, but he can turn what was bad into something that was good. Because people want to say that, like, why God? But it wasn't God. Exactly. Because that's where that's where my perspective would differ from kind of what you just said. I don't see it. You know, there's a clear communication of Christ's life being preordained before the foundations of the world. He had planned to lay his life down. But for us, I don't believe that's true. And the reason why is because at that time, then, uh, I mean, the, the ch- there's a choice to lay down that life. Yeah. Or not to. And if it's preordained, then there's no real choice. And Jesus so, had a choice. So I'm glad you just did. said that because think he about did. it. In the garden, he even said, God, if this cup can pass. So that even exactly thought in his mind is like, God, if there's another way, I'm I'm like game. I, I want to do it. But if there's another right. way, do it. And he still chose to lay it down. It was a choice. Yeah. And the, the, another place where I think exemplifies that, too, and a much lesser harsh result uh, by any means is, uh, it, believe it or not, is in the first miracle. Um, because, you know, so many people were like, well, if it's, it's preordained and predestined, those type of thing. It says that uh, in, in the can- wedding at Cana, they ran out of wine. Mary presents to them, hey, they've run out of wine. And Jesus is like, my time has not come. He's like, this is not this even is, my problem, man. Yeah, you you brought something to it. But I lo- you know what I love about this, John? I love how it, what he says to Mary, because it's words I've never said to my mother, ever. He says, dear woman. Like, I've never said to that my mom in my entire life. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the author of that probably made it sound a little more pleasant. I'm thinking he looked and said, mom, that's really not our problem. This is not even our gig. Yeah. You know, something along those lines. But the bottom line is, is that 
he says, you know, this is not in the time that I'm supposed to be performing miracles yet, but yet he did anyway. And so there is a choice. You're right. There is a, there's a, there's a choice. There's a, um, and, and so we have to realize that. And so in that moment, you know, kind of when you're, and, and I, the first time I ever had, you know, where I was at the end of a gun, when I had somebody literally holding to my the gun to my head because I was preaching out on the streets when I was 16 years old. Um, and, and I mean, even then there was a, there was, the, the peace was so strong that it was almost like unawareness. Like, like I was unaware. I, I, I sort of knew it, but didn't know it. You know what I mean? It was just, it was like, God just sort of keeps you in this, this blanket of grace is the only way I know how to describe it. That, um, that you're not, I, I, I wasn't anxious. I wasn't fearful. Um, even though, um, you know, my, my friend, Randy Clark, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's, he, he always introduces me. This is the most fearless man that I've ever known. This is the most fearless person. And I stopped him and I said, stop saying that. I said, because I feel fear. Yeah. I feel it like you and like everybody else. As a matter of fact, I probably fear, feel it even more because I'm putting myself in this crazy places all the time to feel it even more. I said, I feel fear, but here's what I've decided is I won't yield to that. Amen. Is I'm not, yeah. So it's not the peace that you feel is not absent of fear that you feel. The peace is just stronger than the fear. And, and you realize that the peace is God, the fear is from the enemy. And here's the thing. I, I believe if you feel fear when it's uh, doing something God wants you to do or just something the Bible tells you to do and you feel fear about it, I believe that fear is not your fear. I believe it's a spirit of fear. And how does the spirit of fear manifest but the feeling of fear? So that what that means then is that fear that you feel is a fiery dart of the enemy. And if you're feeling it, it's not because it belongs to you because you're not the source of it. It's coming from an outside source. That's why it's called a fiery dart. It's coming from elsewhere. But because we feel something, we think that's who we are. You know, this gets into sexuality with people. They think, oh, oh yeah. because I feel this way or I'm attracted this way, I have to that's be, yeah. who and what I am. Amen. And I, uh, many people that I've reached out to in the gay community and stuff like that, I've, I've said to them, I said, are all your feelings you? Are all your thoughts you? I mean, if you believe and understand the, the spirit realm, you realize, no, not all my thoughts and feelings are me. Therefore, that original thought that you had of that didn't originate from you. That was a fiery dart and you embraced it as you yep. and it's not. And so let's pray and cut that off because it's a lie. And That's so good. fear is a liar. Yeah. Fear is a liar. And so <clears throat> the only way that we can take that thought captive is acting the opposite of what we feel. You know, uh, entrepreneurs do this all the time. You know, they just, it's in business. Um, something that they come up to do that all of a sudden, you know, I still haven't told you the story you asked me for. I'm sorry. I apologize, <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> but let me, let me back up. But, you know, entrepreneurs do this by taking risks in business by, you know, everything, everybody going, no, don't go this way. It won't work. Da, 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 da. And they just ignore it and do it anyway. And then they become crazy successful at it because they, 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 they were following sort of that nudge or that sense in their gut rather than what the experts were saying. Yeah. And it's the same with this. When I, um, one of the things that happened that was really cool, really cool, uh, you can watch that movie to see the first one where I ne we nearly got killed twice. I mean, one by a police officer. And, you know, Afghanistan is one of those countries where everybody there wants to kill a Christian. I, ISIS came in in 2014. Taliban was there since the 90s. You've got, I mean, even before that, uh, in the 80s, really, the Taliban was there. Uh, that's what, you know, different U.S. people funded the Taliban to fight the Russians and to get them out. And so, uh, but any, anyway, you, you have all these people. You've got the, the whole uh, Al-Qaeda network, which is, includes the Taliban and others. You've, I mean, the police, the military, all of them want to kill Christians. Well, I went during the middle of Ramadan. <laughs> which yeah. means they want to kill you even more yeah. because uh, you, you sort of get more points in paradise or something if you do it to a Christian during Ramadan. And so, um, so my first trip, I, I went there then and literally nearly got killed uh, two different times uh, by uh, the military, by the police. And then the second trip, 
you know, the one actual Taliban guy that I met, we, by the grace of God, we led to Christ. Um, I mean, this dude should have killed us too. And, and I mean, it, it, there's nothing closer to leading the, like the apostle Paul to the Lord than when yeah. you, you got a Taliban or ISIS leader and you're doing it. Um, but I mean, the Holy spirit was just all over this guy. It was powerful. And, uh, he ends up just being overwhelmed by the power and presence of God. Um, anyway, um, second trip went there and, and I took a, a businessman friend. I do a, I travel with a lot of business people cause that's kind of how I pour into the marketplace, uh, people doing ministry there is take them along. And, and this guy is really first time I met him, he had demons in him and I helped break those off of him and get rid of them for him. And then, and then I trained him and now he's passed me up. He he's, he's better at it than I am. Um, in the business world, you know, yeah. but anyway, um, he was, he was with me and we were going to do a training with all these underground church leaders. And as soon as we get there, all of a sudden, 45 minutes, I had been contacted by the CIA and they said, man, the Taliban knows you're there. ISIS knows you're there. They're going to, they, they, he told me, he said, ISIS is all over your, uh, your social media. And he said, they're watching everything you do. They know, you know, everything that you put out there, they're paying attention to it. And so um, he said, as soon as you land, they're going to know because they watch how the flight manifests. And he gave me some important information, some steps to do. And I, I told him, I said, look, we're going anyway. It doesn't matter. I said, if, if we yield to the fear, then we yield to the bully. And I said, I, I just, I'm not going to yield to the bully. And, you know, I'm not going to let the enemy intimidate me. I said, we're going to follow what Jesus said to do. And he said, go into all the world. People are always asking me, you know, you better have had a word of confirmation. You better have had, you know, um, a clear word from God before you go to a country like that. I'm like, yeah, I had a clear word, four of them actually, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. <laughs> it says go into all the world. That's my clear word to go. I don't need any more than that. And so um, we went there, and, and here's another important piece of information. Is people are always saying, well, how many intercessors or prayer warriors do you have praying for you when you go for your safety and protection? And I always tell them, I never ask anybody to pray for my safety and protection. Because if I start pursuing my safety and protection, I'll be ineffective. Yeah, you know, the, the scripture says, if you try to save your life, what will happen to it? You'll lose it. But if you're willing to spend your life for the sake of the gospel, you'll have the best life you've ever had that you're intended to have. You know, people go around saying all the time, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I think it's a lie. The most dangerous place to be is in the center of God's will. Yet it's the most perfect place for you to be. And it's your best life. Amen. There's nothing that Jesus never promised us anything. I'll pray as many prayers for safety and protection as the apostle Paul and Jesus prayed for their lives. And if you look it up, they never did once. And so it's the only time that they're ever asking for prayers because they want to get closer to the Father, you know, things like that. Yeah. But we get so distracted with that. So much of us here in the West, you know, we've moved into preaching messages of self-preservation rather than spending ourselves for the gospel. And I mean, that's what Christ has called us to do. If we're going to have the best life. So all of a sudden, uh, we immediate 45 minutes after landing on the second trip, it was actually my total third trip to Afghanistan, but second trip that year. Um, we were we were pulled over by the military and arrested. And I mean, 45 minutes after getting off the plane, boom, we're being pulled over. And they, they bring us in and they interrogate us. And it was just, oh, my gosh, it was it, it was it was unnerving. We had peace the entire time. Uh, you know, you got guys with AK-47s, you know, because all, all of their weapons are kind of Russian issue. And um, we're like, man, you know, I'm like, this is it. This could be it. And, you know, the guy's like, my commander's going to come put a bullet in your head. And I told everybody, I said, don't call me Robbie um, when you, um, when we, if we get, when, when they were pulling us over, I said, don't anybody call me Robbie because Robert is my legal name and that's in my passport. I said, because if they Google Robbie Dawkins, we're dead. They'll kill us. Yeah. Um, as soon as they see I'm a minister, as soon as they see, you know, uh, I, I mean, you know, best case scenario is they just, you know, deport you. Um, but, but the reality is their pattern is the other way around. Um, 
And so anyway, and they don't just, it's not just, they don't just do that to Americans. It is, it is because of, of being Christian leader. You know, that's, that's the main um, reason why. So all of a sudden they they take us in three and a half hours interrogation. You know, they ask a million, they want information about where you're meeting, who you're meeting with. What did you tell them you were doing going through all that interrogation? I I'm giving them nothing. I'm like, we're here to see friends which is true. I, these guys are all friends. I'm not, I'm not giving them any information. I'm not telling, cause I, if I tell them, Hey, we're here to train people on how to minister the gospel <laughs> and to do healing Everybody's and, and to go out on the streets. And you know, if it, but as soon as they opened my suitcase, I very foolishly had put 15 uh, new testaments in Farsi on the top of my clothes. So as soon as they opened my suitcase, there's 15 new testaments sitting which was just a rookie move on my part i it was stupid i don't know why i did that but it was just dumb but immediately that's that's even that's enough evidence for them uh but anyway uh so they were like you know they were like you're we 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 already know what you're doing you know you're here you're trying you're trying to take people out and proselytize in the streets and doing this who are you but then they want they don't want to just get you they want to get anybody that you've been working with anybody that you've been speaking to because they want to go arrest everybody and kill everybody you know and so um i i was just like we're meeting with a guy named muhammad which is like saying john you know there <laughs> and awesome. so you know we're just not giving them any any information so, so finally after three though? are they getting mad though when you're not telling them anything because i would think they're are they not getting yeah yeah, they are. I mean, then then they start the language starts going. You know, our commander is going to come here and put a bullet in your head. You know, I mean, your your best bet is to give us this information so that we'll just put you on a plane, send you back home. And of course, you don't know if they're going to really do that or not. They're saying it, but they may not. You know, and so and I'm like, I'm not giving up these precious people that you know are going to die so that I could get a ticket back home. I'm not doing that. So. um you know, I, I just, I just kept, I, I told my friend, I said, we don't tell them anything. And, and even on the first trip there, I told everybody, I said, I don't want anybody's last name. I just don't want it in my head. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to be able to get that information out. I said, I don't want an address where we're meeting a part of town or where, I'm, you know, cause we're, we're hiding in people's homes and you got people crammed in this home coming from back fences and, you know, few, few through the front door, but breaking it up over a period of an hour so that they don't draw too much attention. I mean, right. you know, closing the curtains. I mean, worship is a whisper, you know, uh, because they're just, you know, it, it, they're, their lives are on the line every day. So um, anyway, long and short of it, the commander finally shows up. The guy is going to, and I get this guy's like, you know, this guy's going to put a bullet in. He's going to kill you. You know, you're dead because we've got already just with these Bibles, just with, you know, what we know about you. You know, we know uh, we've got enough evidence here. And so um, we just maintained everything. And then and then the commander shows up and and shockingly, he's holding our passports, which was like, if this dude's about to put a bullet in our head, he's I don't think he's going to bring the passports with him. And he steps up to me and says, I'm really sorry. And I literally thought his next words were going to be, I'm going to have to kill you, you know? Um, but he says, I'm really sorry. And he leans in and his eyes got big. He goes, we had no idea who you were. And I'm like, who am I? <laughs> you know? Cause I'm like, hey, huh? He, 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 he I, I, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Did you, he, did you ask him that when he, I'm sorry, when he said, uh, we didn't realize who you were, did you say anything or did you just, no, I just, <laughs> I looked at him. I got big eyes and I said, that's right. Yeah. You know, I, I'm going with it. I'm yeah. like, I am going with it. And you know, one of the things that we have a tendency to do is in a time like that, we start thinking of our own strategy but yeah. what I've learned in working with gangs in Chicago and, you know, being in dangerous places is that don't literally when, when the scripture says, don't give any thought of what you'll say, the Holy spirit will kick in if you don't get in the way of it. Yeah. Amen. Just roll with whatever God's doing in the moment and he'll, he'll provide a way. Yeah. But if we try to come up with our own way, if we try to come up with our own strategy, 
will typically get in the way of what God's trying to do. And so, um, so when, when he said, you know, uh, you know, we had no idea I, who you were, I was like, well, that's right. And I said, I'm glad, you know, under, I said, I'm glad you understand that now. And I have no idea what he's talking. I was dying to know <laughs> yeah. what he saw, but if I ask, then it tips off that I don't have any clue of what he's talking about. And so, cause if they Googled my name, Robbie Dawkins, which we, all they were hearing was Robert. Cause that was in my passport. I mean, they would have definitely killed us. So, um, Anyway, he says, he goes, he goes, I'm, we're going to let you go. And he goes, we'll escort you to your hotel. The first trip we stayed in people's homes, uh, that's the safest thing to do. But then the, the, the second time we went to a hotel because they were nervous about us being in their homes because it would yeah. draw too much attention. And that was wise uh, to do. On the second uh, but, trip, for sure. Yeah. And so they, they escorted us, well, and especially because of what happened, they escorted yeah. us back to the hotel. They, they or we didn't even get to the hotel yet. They escorted us going against traffic is what I mean to the hotel. And I mean, by the time we got to the hotel, the, the, the guys in the hotel are like, what is going on? I mean, you got a military escort here, you know, the head of security, of the hotel comes out, like, who are you? What's going on? What, you know, what? And we're just like, Oh, you know, we're not tipping them off. We're not telling anybody because we're there to, you know, we're, we're, we're coming under the radar with everything. And so I just uh, I told the guy, I said, hey, we're here to visit friends. And we're, he goes, this is head of the security goes, he goes, likely story. He goes, that's not true at all. And I said, no, it's true. They're all friends. And so he was, from that point on, they took it, they put us, our room was bugged. Um, they, I, I told my friend, I said, we can't talk about anything in this room as long as we're here. All this, you know, crazy stuff. It, uh, long and short of short story is the, 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 the commander, he goes, he goes, I'm letting you go. He goes, the problem is we had to notify the police because of your passports. He goes, so they'll come and pick you up tomorrow. And we're like, Oh crap. you know, we got to go through this again tomorrow. And yeah. he goes, no, he goes, I can't do anything about that. And he goes, and what they decide is their business. And he goes, but I've let them know who you are. And I'm like, whatever that is. Yeah. Whatever you know, that means and, right now. Yeah. And so the next day uh, we started scrambling, like, what do we do? You know, the police are coming to get us. We, we couldn't have the guys that we were meeting with. We couldn't, we were having to, I can't tell you how we were communicating with them, but we were having to pass messages to them, hold off, wait till this is done and we'll figure out what to do. Uh, but we were trying to give them enough message that if they needed to get word to our families, I had already notified my wife, you know, that, hey, we've been arrested. This has happened. You know, we're going to be arrested again tomorrow. <clears throat> so the police came and picked us up the next day and they were they were much they were even harsher than the military. And they were angry. But there after th a three and a half hours more of interrogation. Um, they, they were like, you know, well, we can't figure out why the military let you go. So we're going to let you go. Um, but we, we don't know why they did this and we're, we're still trying to figure out what happened. So they said, but we're going to go ahead and let you go, but we're watching every move you make. We know what you're trying to do here. And, you know, we had not told them, but they just, however, it comes to their conclusion, they said, but, but we're watching everything you do. And so after that, then we finally excuse me, met with our guys and they were like, well, do we cancel the meetings? Do we, I said, guys, don't, don't cancel anything. Let's let, let's see what the Lord does. And yeah. I said, right now, what we need to pray is a prayer that David prayed over Absalom's commander, Ahithophel, that his counsel be confused. I said, we need to pray that their counsel, their thinking is confused. The next day, I mean, John, you cannot make this stuff up the next day. Um, I mean, your your show. Are you real? This is like I'm sitting here going, "Is this real?" You know, type of thing. The next day, um, headlines of the newspaper uh, there in Kabul says Donald Trump uh, announces decision to move the U.S. embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. We completely support the decision. But we were like, oh, dear God, the worst timing ever. Yeah. Because this is going to make it bad for us. 
riots break out in the streets, burning American flags, death of the great Satan, setting cars on fire. All of that happened, which was a perfect distraction. We never saw the police or the, or the military ever again because they were working on these riots. And it's the first time in Afghan history where there were rioting in the street and no injuries and no deaths. Man, praise God. Yeah, so it totally, it totally diverted everything. I always tell everybody, no matter what you think of them, Donald Trump saved my life <laughs> by, <laughs> by, by, by putting that out there. And it totally did. We ended up, we carried on and we were men ministering the streets we were taking these underground church leaders who are terrified and showing them hey god will be your defender and of course there was no greater message than that event and so it just totally i mean that kind of thing in the midst i always tell everybody you know we're we're sort of trying to figure out how to get ourselves out of the mess shadrach meshach and abednego had they rebuked the flames of the fire and it had gone out the oh, king, I, did. I never even thought the of that. The king good. would have never had a revelation of Christ. That's In good. the fire, Christ was revealed. Amen. And so don't rebuke the flames. Look for Christ in the midst of the turmoil. Look for what Christ is doing. Follow the leading of the Spirit, and, it's, and it, it, God will do amazing things if we do that. That's powerful. I've never even thought of that. That's funny. I mean, think about how many people would want to go in there speaking in tongues, yabba dabba doing, rebuking in Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, had they done that, Christ never would have been revealed. That's it. And so it's, it's just, it's, it's amazing when we just let God do his thing and, and, and trust him that it, what he's going to do is going to be perfect. And it's going to be amazing. And just that we don't have to get in the way of it. We don't have to figure it out. You know, we just follow. And again, it's all about that availability and the ability meets us there. Amen. Okay. I'm going to wrap the show up. A couple more questions. Uh, last two, one that I always ask, um, Robbie, if you could go back to the younger you, what advice would you give yourself? What 